Why, let's turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 47. We're going to begin reading in verse 27, Genesis chapter 47, verse 27. We continue our study in Joseph. This is the next to last study that we'll be doing in Joseph. And in part of the scripture we're going to be covering tonight, well, there's part of it we won't be covering uh, because we're going to find Jacob giving a blessing to all of his children in chapter 50, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 49. And uh, we're really not concerned in this study about the brethren except for how they affected Joseph. So we're not going to cover that part of the blessing that he gives to his sons. But notice beginning in verse 27, it says, And Israel dwelled in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions therein and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was an hundred forty and seven years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt." But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he sware unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. That's the beginning of the passage we're covering tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God as we learn some lessons from this amazing man, Joseph, and how he handled adversity and how he handled leadership. And I pray, Heavenly Father, tonight that you'll deal with our hearts, help us in our walk, help our young people to develop some character in their lives that bring honor and glory to our God. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do in every life, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Joseph's journey in preparation has been absolutely amazing. You remember how it started out? He was the favored son. He had 11 brothers. Ten of those brothers, though, hated him. The oldest brothers, they all hated him because he was the favored son. As a matter of fact, way back in chapter 45, he told us three times that they hated him. He also uh, told us that they envied him. They did not like their brother at all. Matter of fact, that was back in chapter 35 of the book of Genesis, not 45. So they sold him into slavery. Some of them wanted to kill him. Uh, but Judah spoke up for him, at least to the place of preserving his life. And they sold him to make money off of him. And he spends time for a few years as a slave. He's done nothing wrong. He's only obeyed his father. I've heard some preachers get up and try to say, well, he was probably bragging to his brothers about his benefits. But the scripture doesn't say anything like that. That's just making it up. Uh, maybe that's what that preacher would have done if he'd have been the favored son of his father. I don't know. But nevertheless, he'd only done right. He'd obeyed the father. He showed himself to be a young man of character. And at 17, he sold into slavery. And quickly, even his master could see that the Lord was with him. Do you realize that the Lord can be with you in a bad situation? Amen. Sometimes we say, oh, I don't understand. Why are these bad things happening to me? Hey, he said, I promise to never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
You can't go anywhere that he isn't. He's with you. And if God's not with you in a bad situation, the situation is going to get a whole lot worse. But the Lord was with him. By the way, it almost appears like he wasn't because you'll remember that when he refuses the advances of Potiphar's wife, she falsely accuses him and he gets thrown in prison. And he quickly becomes basically the head of the jail among the prisoners. So for 13 years, we find Joseph as a slave and then as a prisoner. And it looks like 13 years, that is an awful long time. And then suddenly, as he handled himself well, we find no bitterness in Joseph during this time. He shows himself to be a servant in helping others. He helped Potiphar as he was the head slave in his home. And then he helped uh, Potiphar again because he was the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. And he had the charge over the prison. And we find Joseph being raised up there, but still a prisoner. Nevertheless, he could not just move around. He had no freedom like that. And you remember when he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, that both of those interpretations came true exactly like Joseph had said. But the butler forgot him. It's not until Pharaoh has a dream that he sees basically seven really fat cows and then we find seven very lean cows that eat up the fat cows. Didn't make any sense to Pharaoh. The dream is repeated again. They look for somebody to interpret it. And the butler says... I remember a man who interpreted the dreams of the baker and myself, and he got it right. You might want to call him. Where is this man? He's down in prison. He brought him up, and he interpreted the dreams. And then Pharaoh made him the number two man in all of Egypt. Through the seven years of of good times, all of the food would be brought in. The food that, of course, wasn't taken up by the people. 20% of it had to be brought in and was kept during those seven years. And then when the seven years of famine started, you remember that Jacob's brothers came down after that first year. Uh, They came down to get food for the family. And during that second year time, and then uh, and he thought he claimed them as spies, even though he was testing his brothers to find out what they were like. When they come back the second time and they bring Benjamin with them, that's the time when they prove to be different than what they were to him when he was younger. Then Joseph reveals himself to them. This is an amazing time. What an opportunity for a man to get even with some people that he felt had wronged him. But he doesn't use it for that. As a matter of fact, he even tells his brothers, what you did, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God sent me here to preserve life. Do you see God as having a hand in your life? Do you see God as watching over you, knowing what's going on? Now, God had given Joseph dreams before he was ever taken off into Egypt. He didn't have a Bible. He just had what God gave him in those dreams. After all, the book of Genesis hadn't been written yet. Exodus hadn't been written yet. Moses hadn't written anything down yet. That's not going to come for a few hundred years more. And you kind of wonder during all this time, where did this young man get that character? He didn't get it from his dad. His dad, whose name meant supplanter, trickster, 
had lived a life of that. When God changed his name to Israel way back in the book of uh, Genesis when he was coming back uh, from Laban's house where he got his wives, he's coming back, he hears Esau's coming up to meet him. You remember he had taken Esau's birthright. Now birth, uh, Esau had sold it and Esau was going to have to pay a price for that. But nevertheless, when God changes his name to Israel, prince with God, even in the next few verses, he calls him Jacob again several times. Never did that with Abram, who became Abraham, or Sarai, that became Sarah. As a matter of fact, when he fooled his brother by sending him down to Edom, saying he'd follow along with all that he had given him, that night he crosses over the Jordan River and goes to Shechem. He never does go down to see Esau. He was still a trickster, still a supplanter. He had brothers who were tricksters and supplanters, brothers who were violent. He had Reuben, of course, as his older brother, who had defiled his father's bed with Bilhah. I mean, where did Joseph come up with the character that is there? Let me tell you what this teaches us. This teaches us that no matter what home you come from, no matter what your mom and dad were, no matter what was around you in your community, no matter how tough your circumstances may have been, you can still do right. You can still obey the Lord. You can still follow God. You're not going to be able to stand before God and give excuses for staying lost if you're lost. You're not going to be able to stand before God and give excuses for not serving the Lord because some Christian hurt your feelings. Boy, we do live in a land of snowflakes today. And you know the sad part about snowflakes, a little bit of heat and they melt. Here's Joseph. He put up with a whole lot of heat. And he came forth pure. He came forth right. So he has his family, Jacob and the others, all moved down to Egypt. He gives them the very best of the land of Egypt. Understand that Goshen is in the Nile Delta. That was the one place that would be untouched by the famine because they had plenty of water from the Nile, and that kept them fed during that time. Did Israel deserve it? Did Jacob deserve it? Did his sons deserve it? No, they didn't deserve it, but that's what they got. Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. A lot of great lessons in this, but getting back to Jacob, you remember last week we closed with the fact that Jacob had an audience with Pharaoh. He blessed Pharaoh twice. But when Pharaoh asked him how old he was, he told him 130 years and then says, few and evil have been the days of my life. Here is a man who has known God. Here's a man that God has made a rich man. And yet his testimony of life is few and evil have been the days of my life. And you want to say to Jacob, shame on you. Shame on you. Here's a rich man that God has protected him even in his wickedness, even in his supplanting. God has protecting him. Think about this. All of the boys that were born to him were still alive. I mean, you go back then, a lot of children died in childbirth. Great numbers. And it was a hostile land. Any of their sons could have been killed at any time. He had all of his family with him, except for Rachel at this point. And you think about, about Jacob or Joseph, not only were his brothers low in character, 
But think about his own mom, Rachel. Because Rachel is the one who stole her daddy's gods when they left Laban's house. She was one. She wasn't faithful to the Lord. So that makes Joseph even more amazing that with all the negative stuff around him, that this man would stand for God and live for God. Well, now here we are. We're getting near the end of Jacob's life. He's 147 years old. We find that he has been in the land for 17 years. He's going to be dying very soon. And so he calls Joseph in because he's got something that he is concerned about that needs to take place. He gets some promises from Joseph. And here's what it is. The scripture says in verse 30, And I will lie with my, with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. Now isn't that interesting that he would get Joseph to be the one. Joseph spent most of his time, obviously, in the palace, and you'll see that in a second. Joseph is the one who had set him up in Goshen. Joseph is the one who had taken care of them. But the ones that were close to him, all of his other sons, he doesn't go to them. He goes to Joseph. Now, that's amazing. This would not be a short move, obviously. Think of the great train of uh, that it would take, the, the supply line, moving them all up there to bury the father. He goes to Joseph for that because Joseph was someone he could count on. Young people, listen to me. If people don't count on you, you've earned it. If you want people to count on you, earn it. Character. People see it. And what they think of you, you earn. Joseph is a man who had showed himself to be a man of character. Now, he comes to the bedside of Jacob. And we see him here showing great respect for his father. Here he is, the number two man in all of Egypt. We don't find Jacob going to him. We find him coming to Jacob, showing great respect for a father who really perhaps didn't deserve it except for the fact he was his father. The Bible says, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with promise. It doesn't say only honor them if they're everything that you think they should be. He says you're to honor your mother and father. Now, before that, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Understand, young people, you have a responsibility to your parents to honor them. Now, that doesn't just mean yes, sir, and no, sir. It also means not muddying their name by a wicked lifestyle. You have a responsibility to live right so that your parents don't get a black mark on them because of you. Understand who you belong to. You honor them. God says to do it. That makes it right. That's enough. Well, he wanted to be buried in Canaan. He didn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wanted to be buried in Canaan. Now, for a couple of reasons. Of course, family was buried in Canaan. He wanted to be buried there because of that. But also, that was the land of promise. 
So that's where he wants to be buried. I mean, hey, you know, Joseph could have come to him and say, hey, we could build you a pyramid right here. And you'll be well known throughout the land. People will see the pyramid and say, look, there's Joseph or Jacob, the Hebrew. But Joseph doesn't do that. He says, I'll do it. I'll see to it that you're buried in Canaan. Now, that takes place in chapter 50, obviously after he dies, not before he dies. Uh, By the way, Joseph wanted the same thing because after Jacob dies, Joseph goes to his brothers and and tells them that when he died, he also wanted to be buried in Canaan. But here he is, he's old and feeble, and we find... We find the father here coming to uh, Joseph and bowing to him and showing respect for his son as well, just like David did with Solomon when Solomon became king in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 47. And then we have in verses beginning in verse 1 an interesting situation that takes place. As Joseph hears that his father is dying, He brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He brings them to Jacob. Now let's follow the story. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengtheneth himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon they are mine and thy issue which thou begettest after them shall be thine and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance and as for me when I came from Padam Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath and the same is Bethlehem And Israel beheld Joseph's sons. Now notice this. He beheld his sons and he said, who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, these are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, bring them, I pray thee unto me, and I will bless them. Now I don't know about you, but every time I've read that, I thought, you mean he's been in the land 17 years? And he hasn't taken the time to meet Joseph's sons. Sounds like that, doesn't it? But I think perhaps we get the answer to that in the very next verse. For the scripture says in verse uh, 10, Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face, and lo, God has showed me also thy seed. 
And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. Now, Jacob is going to be giving a blessing to Manasseh and Ephraim. Why is God so particular about how he describes this? Because, obviously, the oldest one should be the one that gets the blessing with the right hand. He's the oldest. That's the way it would normally be done. The birthright would go to the oldest. And so when Joseph presents his sons before his father, his father obviously can't see well enough to recognize them. At least that's what Joseph is thinking. And so he he takes uh, Manasseh and he presents him on, from Joseph's view, on the left side, so that he would be at uh, Jacob's right hand. And he puts Ephraim on the other side, on Joseph's right side, which would be Jacob's left hand. I don't get confused. I know this used to, let's see, how's this working out? Uh, you can work it out after church, and it works out just fine. You remember Manasseh. Manasseh, the firstborn son of Joseph. Why was he named Manasseh? The word means forgetting. Manasseh. You remember when Joseph had his first son after getting out of the prison and being the number two man in Egypt? He named him Manasseh because he had forgotten all the toil and the suffering that he had been through. When the second son came along, Ephraim, he named him, that word means fruitful because God had allowed him to be fruitful in a strange land. There was a meaning to the name. Just like, for instance, um, Isaac, when he was born to Abraham, uh, Isaac was named Isaac. His name meant laughter. Now, it was one of those guys, we hear Isaac, we don't think much about it. But when they heard the name Isaac, I'm sure it probably drew a smile to their face. What if you'd been, made, been named laughter? What's your name? Laughter. We had a lady, for instance, at the funeral for Woody and Jeannie, daughter-in-law. Her name is Precious. Now, I'm sorry, as a pastor, uh, they had attended several years ago, uh, they were here. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm just going to call you Mrs. K. Wood because if I, if I look across the room and say, Precious, how you doing? And they look and it's not my wife, that's going to start rumors talking. <laughs> it just, you know, it just did that when... Names have meaning, and precious means something. Isn't that right? Anyway, uh, that's extra. So notice what takes place. In verse 14, it says, And Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands, notice this, wittingly. Jacob knows what he's doing. What he's doing, he's doing on purpose. For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw 
that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brothers shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God, make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the land of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Now here's what's taken place. Jacob has given the birthright blessing of possession to Ephraim. He's going to get twice as much as the others. And he's going to get, or he's going to get more than what Manasseh is going to get. But Joseph is even going to get more than the other tribes of Israel. Because they're going to have two portions in the land with Ephraim being the one that gets the most. As a matter of fact, Ephraim's going to end up getting their inheritance right in the center of what is known now as the northern kingdom of the northern ten tribes. The northern ten tribes will be called Ephraim several times after they break off in the southern times. They're going to be called Ephraim. In the book of Hosea, he calls the northern kingdom Ephraim 22 times. He's going to have a special place. But getting back to Joseph for a moment, you would say, well, with 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Joseph would have one portion, but now Jacob has said he's going to get two. Well, that would make 13 tribes in Israel, except the Levites are not going to get an inheritance. They're going to be the priest spread throughout the land as based for the most part as teaching priest. It's what they're going to do. Now, what's happened? Let me give you a verse. Uh, you can write it down, look at it later, but it's First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but forasmuch as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. So Joseph gets the birthright, but it is the line of Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. His line is not going to come through Ephraim. His line is going to come through Judah. And he tells us later on why that took place, why God was doing what he was doing. Therefore, Jacob divided the blessing between Joseph and Judah. So in blessing, a double portion, each son would get an inheritance. Each would be considered a tribe. And Ephraim, the youngest, would be over Manasseh. Now, in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 4, the scripture says, For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore, they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save the cities to dwell in. Now get this, 
what you just read that took place where Joseph blesses his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, this is what's remembered in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. This is the only thing that's said about Jacob here. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. You know, you read about Samson, you read about his victories, you read about Jephthah, you read about his victories, you read about Moses, you read about his victories, you read about the faith of Abraham. I mean, it's amazing. You read all those great things that were done. But when Jacob's name is mentioned, he blessed the sons of Joseph by faith. He knew what he was doing. He did it by faith. You say, it seems like such a little thing. Well, not to Israel, it's not. It's still a big thing today. And by the way, according to the book of Ezekiel, I want you to listen to this. Thus saith the Lord God, this shall be the border whereby ye shall inherit the land according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. I mean, if you read the book of Ezekiel, there's no way you can believe in replacement theology that God has taken the promises to Israel and given it to the church. This is what's going to take place during the time of the millennium. God has not fulfilled those promises yet. Those promises are going to be fulfilled exactly like he said. And it's not just here in Ezekiel 47. Remember, remember when we, I'll get it out. When we went through the book of Ezekiel, we had several statements by God that God was going to keep his promise to Israel. You can count on it. God doesn't make promises. And, uh, and uh, oh, is your wife here, Brother Chris? Oh, she's back there, though. Okay, God's not an Indian giver. That's what I was going to say. All right. I don't even know where that came from. It's just, it's just there. All right, then we've got finally, finally, we've got the prophecy of Joseph. You got to understand I'm tired. I drove a lot last night. Get over to uh, chapter 49. Notice beginning in verse 22. Jacob has been giving several blessings to his other sons. Verse 3 started out, Reuben, my firstborn, my might, beginning of strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power. Then he says, unstable as water. I'll tell you what, I've met a whole lot of people. They had so much going for them, but they were unstable as water. And like Reuben, they don't excel. That's a bad character trait to have, to be unstable as water. But notice for Joseph, when he gets to him, Joseph, in verse 22, is a fruitful bow, even a, uh, a fruitful bow, I'm sorry, um, even a fruitful bow, no, fruitful bow, I got it right the first time, a uh, fruitful bow by a well whose branches run over the wall. The archers have solely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, 
blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors under the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. What's going on here? First of all, he would be a fruitful bough, a fruitful branch to come out of Israel. Uh, He had sowed right, so he's going to reap right. He's going to reap all those blessings that are mentioned. Why? Because he sowed right. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to his spirit shall love the spirit reap life everlasting. Here is Joseph done wrong by his brothers, but he saves his brothers. Here's Joseph who'd been done wrong by Potiphar's house, but we don't find Potiphar ever being put to death when Joseph becomes the number two man. He served the Egyptian masters that he had when he was subservient to them and he served the entire nation when Pharaoh made him the number two man under him. He could have been, think about this, especially when he got thrown into prison, not just in in slavery, but when he got thrown into the prison, he could have gotten bitter. 13 years is a long time to be put away and you hadn't done anything wrong. He could have been bitter. He could have sowed that. But if he'd have sowed that, Brother Myers, he never would have got it out of the prison cell. He was still a servant. That was his attitude. And when he got power, he was still a servant. He sowed right. And so he was going to reap right. The blessings that he would get is because he didn't act like most of us act. And you wonder, where did he get that? He had character. He had character to do right. When probably, at times, he didn't feel like doing right. What do you want for the future in your life, in your home? What do you want for the future? Well, I'll tell you, if you want the right things, then sow right. Sow right. Do right. As Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right, do right. Till the stars fall, do right. Just do right. You say, oh, man, I really want to tell them off. No, just do right. Shut your mouth. You don't have to say anything. Turn it over to God. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. God will take care of all that. So what should I do to them? I, I remember when I was pastoring a Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga, uh, we had uh, a couple of young men that were students at Tennessee Temple, and they had gotten hooked into listening to Ben Hayden. I didn't, said, I didn't say Ben Haydad, the king in First Kings. I'm talking about Ben Hayden. He was a big Presbyterian preacher in Chattanooga. Well, Presbyterians believe in Calvinism. It's what they are. Now, I'm not going to say every Presbyterian believes that, but that's what the denomination believes in. They are Calvinists. They believe in a limited atonement. They believe uh, not only in a limited atonement, but an unconditional election, an irresistible grace, that you can't resist the Spirit of God if you're one of those that God's picked out. And as they listened to this guy, who had to be the slowest talking preacher I've ever heard in my life, I tried to listen to them one time to see what they were getting and I about fell asleep in the first five minutes. It took him so long from word to word, just very slow in all that he did. 
And, but they got hooked in to what he was doing. Remember I said, nobody becomes a Calvinist by reading the Bible. They become a Calvinist by being influenced by another Calvinist. That's always the case. It happened to these two young men. One of those young men, his first name was Waco of all things, obviously from Texas. But uh, anyway, he'd come there because God had called him to preach. Well, they were attending the church while they were going to school that I pastored there in Chattanooga while I was going to school. And I noticed that their attitude about things began to change. As a matter of fact, the other fellow that was with Waco, as uh, he was going out the door one Sunday morning, and he wouldn't even look at me or shake his hand. He was shaking his head, walking out, just going like this. Well, that kind of bothered me. So I went outside to the parking lot, and I said, uh, do we have a problem? I couldn't understand what was going on. He said, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he said, you don't even preach the Bible. Well, that's a tough thing to say to a man who preaches the Bible. I know, but none of us like to hear that. And it's because I didn't believe in his Calvinistic doctrine that he had been influenced to get. So a couple months passed. They left. I said, listen, you go back to Highland Park where you belong uh, and you stay there. You can't be here in this church because you're not going to be bringing that stuff into these people here. So he left. Now, he lived out in that area. We had a snowstorm come through. And to get from North Chattanooga, where the church was at in that area, you had to go up an on-ramp that was a little bit steep. And we had a snowstorm come through, and I was driving up to go into school, and I noticed a car off the road on the right. And the person was just getting out of the car, and I saw it was that fella. Now, yes, I was tempted to say, oh, goody, goody. I didn't do it. I pulled my car off. I said, what's the problem? He said, man, I'm stuck. I'm sure he was disgusted that I was the one that stopped, but nevertheless. And so what I do, I help push him up where he could get going again. Now you say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it's big back then to me. It doesn't seem so big to me now either. But that's, I'm just simply saying, I could have gone ahead and just been a real sour put. What does that accomplish? That doesn't do any good. Do good to those that despitefully use you. As a matter of fact, you've got a promise here. Go back, uh, go over to the book of Romans chapter 12. Notice verse 20. Scripture says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Joseph sowed right. And look at how God blessed him. He sold right in a tough situation. Had he been a complainer and grider and guy to run him down, had he had a Facebook page, he might have been tempted to do otherwise. But I don't think you would have found any of that stuff about his brothers on his Facebook page. He had a totally different spirit. He sowed right. He reaped right. If you can learn that when you're hurting, when someone, you feel somebody's done you wrong, somebody's offended you, 
and say, you know, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to look for an opportunity just to be a blessing to them. God will give it to you. It'll come. And then you be that blessing. And God will take care of you in a far greater way. Christians could just learn to respond as God would have them to respond instead of how the flesh wants them to respond. There can be victory. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, turn to this passage and we're done. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This will be it for the evening. We have an example about this. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, 21, he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Notice, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And then it says in chapter 3, verse 1, likewise ye wives. And then it says in verse 7, likewise ye husbands. You know, if we'd stop responding to how we feel that we're being talked to and start responding like Christ would, it would save and stop an awful little, a lot of conflict in life and it would bring in immeasurable blessings from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' dear name and how we pray, dear God, that you'll challenge our hearts tonight. There may be some tonight that are hurting because somebody has done them wrong. May they decide tonight they're going to respond as Joseph would, as Jesus did. Dear God, please, may we so right in these relationships that we truly follow Christ as our example. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.